The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. This morning I want to go back to the book of Mark in the ninth chapter. I want to preach to you this morning about the implications of the cross. Lord Jesus Christ has been slowly, gently, but surely leading his disciples in the direction of understanding his purpose in coming here and the implications of his being here and, and not just his earthly ministry, but the fact that everything he's doing is pointing toward the cross, the cross. And in fact, he gives us several lessons. He's already given some, but starting with this, the rest of this chapter and going into chapter 10, he gives us several lessons about the implications of the cross. And the one that I want to deal with this morning is a lesson on greatness, a lesson on greatness. Don't, don't we all have the desire to be great? I think that's just born in us. We're, some of us are more competitive than others. We want to, we want to be number one, you know. We want to, we want to be great. We want to, don't want to just live a life where you're just second best. We want to be great, you know. Uh, in the immortal words of Ricky Bobby, if you're not first, you're last, right? <laughs> Uh, I don't, don't endorse that movie, but let me just say, I've always thought about that idea there. That's ingrained in us, is it not? If we're not first, it doesn't matter what you are. We want to be great in the kingdom of, in, in the world, and especially in the kingdom of God. Now, nobody likes the cross. Let me just say that up front. I don't like the cross. I love the joy. I love the glory. I love the mountaintop. I don't like the valleys. I don't like taking up my cross and following him. Lord, can't I just go fight Goliath? I don't want to keep the sheep. I just want to fight Goliath. I want to be the victor. I want to be victorious. See, I want to lay down my life for Christ. You know, I don't really want to die, but hey, what a way to go. I get to, I get to be burned at the stake for Jesus. And that's glorious. That's a glorious end. That's a martyr. That's, that's being a witness. That's what martyr means. That's being a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ in a great way. But we don't all get to fight the giant. And we don't all get to be burned at the stake or stoned like Stephen. Most of us just have to plod along every day. And sometimes we get a little, I don't know, bored a little down and out, a little complacent. The Lord Jesus Christ deals with this idea of greatness in these verses here in a very specific way. Two or three different things he does here. And I want us to look at them this morning in the time that we have. Notice, as, as you remember in verse 30, it says, after they had come down the mountain and they had... Jesus had healed the, the son of that man that the disciples couldn't heal. It says that they passed through Galilee. In verse 31, he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. Now, notice here what's in view. The cross is what's in view. I want to say to you, beloved, that any preaching that does not involve the cross is not really preaching at all. 
There's, there's churches that are out there. I know of some churches and some mega churches where they never mention the cross. They never mention what Jesus actually came to do. They're too inclusive to alienate somebody by saying that the cross is the only way uh, to reconciliation with God. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't want to offend anyone. But I don't have anything to preach to you other than the cross and the Lord Jesus Christ crucified. He says to them, he's leading them, he's saying, I've got to be delivered. That word delivered carries the connotation of betrayal. I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of men and I'm going to be killed. And after I'm killed, I'm going to rise again. And it says they understood not that saying and were afraid to ask him. As sometimes, uh, you know, the book of James says that uh, if, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. He's not going to get on to you for asking. He's not going to get on to you for asking him uh, for more information, for more wisdom, and for more guidance. But they didn't understand that at this time. So they didn't want to ask him. They said, what's he talking about? <laughs> In fact, you remember Peter upbraided him, rebuked him, because he said, uh, you don't need to be talking this stuff, Lord. And the Lord rebuked Peter. He called him Satan and said, get thee behind me. You know, that tells me that the cross was a pretty central teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, wasn't it? It ought to be a pretty central teaching of the Lord's church as well. And then he says in verse 33, we kind of briefly dealt with this before. You remember they had trouble. They couldn't, they couldn't cast out the demon, remember? They said, Lord, why, why can't we cast this demon out? He said, this one doesn't go out but by prayer and fasting. <clears throat> it's kind of hard to pray, isn't it, when you're all crossed up with your brother? Isn't it kind of hard to pray to the Lord when you're more focused on yourself. You know, there was a Pharisee one time that prayed like that. He prayed within himself. I, me, I, look at me, look at me, look at what I've done. I've done this, I'm not like that. But the one that got through to the Lord was the old publican who smote upon his breast and just looked down and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm just nothing in your sight. But see, what was happening is, and look at verse 33. In this... In this <laughs> In this lesson on greatness, okay, one of the first things the Lord teaches his disciples is that to be great, you must serve greatly. You must serve greatly. Notice what it says in verse 33 now. And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? <laughs> I want to just stop right there and ask you this question. What if the Lord came to you and said, Hey, John Morgan, James, Bob, Mackie, I'm not picking on you guys particularly. I'm going to stop there because I can't name everybody. What he said, Hey, what were you talking about a while ago? Let me, let me take it even, let me make it personal. How would I feel if the Lord came to me at the end of the day and said, Hey, Chris, if he appeared to me in person, said, hey, man, what was it that you were talking about a while ago? Now, I might get by with that kind of question and say, well, Lord, I was thinking about you. I was talking about you. I, was, I called up Brother Mackey and we, we talked. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking specifically about when you were there in the workplace and that dirty joke was told. And, or when you were over there by the water fountain and and they were gossiping about this other person. Or, or 
or hey, I'll, I'll make it. Brother James and I went fishing Friday. What were you talking about there when you were fishing? We talked about you, Lord. Well, that's not all we talked about. I'm not going to get specific, Brother James, but some of the things we said probably weren't pleasing to the Lord. We didn't, we weren't, well, I ain't going to go there, but we weren't too far off. But <laughs> my point is this what would you say? Notice what they said. They held their peace. <laughs> they held their peace. You know why they held their peace? Because they knew what they were talking about. They shouldn't have been talking about. They knew what they said they shouldn't have been saying. Now, I dare say that most of us would be silent if the Lord asked specifically. See, he didn't just ask you. That's what I, the Lord is so, the Lord is so amazing. It wasn't a vague inquiry. Let's, let's talk about today, okay? Brother Chris, he says, what were, you, what were you thinking about on Sunday? Oh, Lord, I was thinking about you. You remember that phone call from God, that, that, that little comedic routine that they used to play on Southern Gospel stations on Sunday morning? A fella gets a phone call from the Lord. And... Uh, and he, you know, you can tell you can't hear the Lord side of the conversation, but you can hear his. And it's constantly, he, the Lord is, the Lord is God. He ends up, at the end of the, at the end of the, the, the episode there, the, the comedic routine, uh, he hangs up the phone and, and then he's talking to his wife. And his wife clearly asked him, you know, who that was. He said, um, and he said, he, she said, was it a wrong number? No, it wasn't a wrong number. As a matter of fact, he had my number. In fact, I think he's got a lot of people's numbers, the way that thing ends up. You know what? I think the Lord has got all our number, don't you? Notice what they said here. He wasn't a vague inquiry. You remember the woman at the well? I love that story. <clears throat> and, 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 and I'm going I'm to say something here that I don't want you to misunderstand. They were not correct in what they were doing. But I, know, I love the merciful way that the Lord deals with his children deals with all of us. At least that's been my experience. He asked the woman at the well, said, he, he, or he tells her, go call your husband. You know, I mean, think about how, how specific he was. And you know what she said? She didn't say, sure, I'll go do that. Or what. She had a something. I don't know what it, I don't know if she had a feeling in her heart. Or what she, she just looked at him and said, I don't have a husband. And he said, you know what? You've answered just right. Because you've been married five times, and right now you're living with a man that's not your husband. You see there, the Lord knows. Now, now let me just say this. This isn't the purpose of the message this morning, but think about this. Do you understand that everything we do and say is in the presence of the Lord? Everything we do and say. He said, thou knowest every word on my tongue before I say it. Even the things that I hold back on, the Lord knows this. I hope... It, it, I mean, when I read this and I began to think about this, it gave me chills and made me embarrassed. I'm sure my face turned all shades of red thinking about the things that I had thought about and that I had said in the conversations I've engaged in this week that were, that were not pleasing to the Lord. And he may not have come to me physically and said, hey, what were you talking about, buddy? But I'll tell you this, he was there and he knows and he didn't. He didn't shy away from it either. He says, what was it you disputed about, um, uh, disputed among yourselves, by the way? 
But they held their peace, for by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. Now, now I go back to this. They couldn't cast out that demon. He said, this goes out by prayer and fasting. Could it be that they were too concerned about themselves? Maybe, maybe I don't know, but per, obviously this is on their minds. Maybe John and Peter were jockeying for position, say, I'll, I'll cast him out. No, I'll cast him out. No, you'll cast, you know, Andrew. And I mean, they could have been all, there was competition there. There was competition and, and it could have been to see who was the greatest. You know, J- Peter and James and John uh, had gone up the mountain. And, and when he came down the mountain, he said, don't tell anybody what happened. And, and, and I'm sure they probably tried to do that. And, but, you know, you can, you can, you know how you can be sometimes? You know, I got a secret <laughs> you don't know about. <laughs> you know, hey, the Lord picked me to go up the mountain, you know. I mean, you ever, you ever, you ever listen, preachers, I wish Buddy were here because he'd take, preachers are the world's worst about that. You know, well, he he called on me at the meeting to close out the services. You know, I, I, you know, did you preach, brother Tim? Or brother Tim asked me, brother Chris, did you preach? Well, yeah. You know, I I preached last. You know, I got to close out the services. You know, obviously, you know the implication. Obviously, they they had such confidence in my preaching that they wanted me to hear. Now, you know, it may be though. I, I've had these this to happen to me before. Um, I was called before I joined Zion, and I was with another Baptist order. Uh, I was called on two years in a row to preach a, a revival meeting up in northeast Alabama. And uh, I thought, well, boy, that's, you know, two, two in a row. That's pretty good. I guess they must have really enjoyed it, you know. And uh, after the third, you know, I think it was three, two nights and then Sunday. And uh, Sunday morning, after everything was over, this older lady in the church came up to me, and they were shaking my hand, telling me what a good job I'd done. And she looked at me, and she said, said, I tell you what, you're getting better. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, thank you. I appreciate I think. <laughs> and uh, and uh, she was as sincere as she could be. You know, I got to thinking later, maybe they, it wasn't that they loved my preaching so much. Maybe they just thought I messed it up so bad they wanted to give me another chance, you know. Sometimes we tend to get lifted up with pride, and that's what was happening here. That's what was happening here. Now listen, though. Notice this. Jesus did not rebuke them for their desire to be great. I don't want to quench your desire to be great in the kingdom of God. That is a valid desire. That is absolutely appropriate. You ought to want to be the greatest in in the kingdom of God. Every one of our desire here ought to be, hey, I want to be the greatest member of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. I want to be the greatest member. Jesus didn't get on to them for that. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't say, oh, you just need to quench that, man, and forget about all that stuff. No. But what happens is, is that we often get the way to greatness mixed up with the world's false paths to success. That's, and that's the problem they had. They were, they were measuring themselves by the worldly standard. The worldly standard of greatness is how many serve me. But you see, Jesus is teaching them something, and it's in view of the cross. Remember, this is the implication from the cross. 
Think about Jesus Christ going to the cross. Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He was the King of kings and Lord of lords. One day He will wear that crown and we will visibly see it. He wears the crown today, but one day we will visibly see it and all in the world will see it. And what they were expecting when Jesus Christ came was for Him to ride in on His war horse with His war helmet on and to uh, strike down the enemies of God and throw off the yoke of Rome and establish an earthly kingdom here along the lines of the Roman Empire and other worldly kingdoms that have been in the past. But you see, the implications from the cross are totally different. Totally different. The worldly measure of success and greatness is how many serve me. By that standard, Jesus should have been the great war leader, the great political leader. He should have been the emperor of the world in an earthly sense. But what did he do? He, 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 he walks this long, lonely road of pain and suffering up the hill of Calvary to bear this cross by himself to be crucified when he was completely innocent of the crimes they had, they had uh, accused him of. In fact, completely innocent of any crime whatsoever. That doesn't sound like a victor to me, does it? That sounds like a tragic figure. That sounds like somebody in a Greek tragedy that would be uh, just, uh, just a sad case when it's all over with. But you see, the implications from the cross are that the world's standard of success is not the standard that we should be using. It is not the true standard of greatness. Because what Jesus did is He submitted Himself to the will of His Father. He humbled Himself to death on the cross so that He might ultimately win the greatest victory of all time through the resurrection that occurred just three days later. The world's measure of greatness is how many serve me. But the measure of kingdom greatness is how many do I serve. See, that's a totally, I've told you this so many times, it's like a pyramid turned on its head. Instead of being at the pinnacle of the pyramid on top, you're at the pinnacle of the pyramid on the bottom if you would be great or the greatest in the kingdom of God. We often get this mixed up. But what a radical concept it is. What a, what a revolutionary idea. <laughs> what, what an amazing... It, it changed everything for these disciples. They didn't understand it. Part of the reason they didn't understand it is they didn't want to accept it. They didn't want to, uh, un, they didn't want to understand it. It took time for them to figure out what, was going, uh, going, what Jesus was going to do and how it was going to change their lives. I'll tell you, beloved, in the kingdom of God, our natural inclinations will get us into trouble. Greatness in the eyes of God, in the eyes of men, rather. Greatness in the eyes of men is but ashes in the eyes of God. There's a, there's a Gaither vocal band song that I've always liked. It's called, I'll Worship Only at the Feet of Jesus. And, and I love the words to this song. Listen to these words. I went to visit the shrine of plenty but found its storehouse all filled with dust. I bowed at altars of gold and silver, but as I knelt there, they turned to rust. The call of fortune made me a pilgrim to journey to things promised us, uh, to fame's promised heights. But as I climbed, the promise faded, and the wind blew lonely all through the night. 
Just desert dust and empty shadows, all promises that turn to lies. The gods of earth fail and betray me. You alone are truth and life. And the, ver- the chorus is, I worship, so I worship only at the feet of Jesus. His cup alone, my holy grail. There'll be no other gods before him, just Jesus only will never fail. You see, the promised heights of fame in this world will fail and betray you. The ashes are ashes is all you will find in the storehouses of this world. He says to be great. Notice verse 35. He sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. Boy, that's a, that's a radical concept, isn't it? Instead of trying to be first, instead of trying to lift yourself up, bow yourself down. Not just to God. Certainly to God in worship, but bow yourself down to one another. You know, that's one of the purposes of the foot washing service is to remind us about the servant heart that we should have. If you would be a leader, you must be a servant. If you would be a leader and great in the church, you must be a servant of all. If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. And then look at verse 36. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me but him that sent me. Notice here he's saying, first of all, to be great, we must serve greatly. But also to be great, we must love greatly. We must love greatly. Notice what he's done here. He takes this little child and he gives us a lesson from the children. He's also going to give us another lesson about loving greatly. But he gives us, first of all, a lesson from the children. And and, and he takes this child and he brings, what a beautiful scene. The God of glory calls a little child to himself and takes him in his arms. Takes him in his arms. And I'm sure this was just an ordinary child. We don't know anything about this child. He certainly hadn't been raised in church because there wasn't a church then. (laughs) He might have been raised in the synagogue. I don't know. But he was a child. And he used this child. And he, he, he had his arms around this child, I believe, for the rest of this chapter to illustrate the greatness that is needed in the kingdom of God. Why receive a child? What can a child possibly do to help me? A child has no influence. A child can't enhance my career. A child can't give me anything of value. In fact, a child has to have most things done for it. Child's of no use to me in climbing the ladder of success. But you see, the point of all this is to teach us a very important lesson that in the kingdom of God, we are not to have respect of persons. We are not to to vaunt one over another. Notice it with me, look with me over to James chapter 2 and verse 1. Listen to what the apostle James says. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. And then he goes on to give us an example and and, and say, well, I'm not like this, but 
you may not be like this, but I guarantee you, you've got a, you've got a weakness somewhere for some type of person. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come also in a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith? and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him. But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before their judgment seats? Do they not they blaspheme the worthy name by, which, by the which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do, do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law, that is, convicted of the law as transgressors. You, do, you, do you have respect of persons? Are, are, are we, are we uh, partial to one over another? The, see, one of the marks of true greatness is, is that we are learning to have no respect of persons. The poor, the powerless, the needy that can't help us in any way, these are the ones that we need to be seeking out to serve. I don't say this to lift my brother up higher than he should be uh, but uh, but I, I'll never forget a lesson that he taught me one time uh, about being at a church that he was visiting and they were having their communion service and um, and and you know it's and I I love I always try to wash the feet of the visiting pastor just because I appreciate them coming so much uh, and and in this situation I don't Tim wasn't one of the visiting pastors and he wouldn't he sought out the person in the congregation that, that appeared to have the most problems, uh, the most limitations, the most weaknesses, the most afflictions, that's the person he sought out and washed that person's feet. You know why? Because he was trying to fulfill this, um, this commandment. Hey, it's great. I love seeing you wash each other's feet and washing your friend's feet. That's wonderful. But let me tell you something. When we do foot washing, you know the person you ought to seek out? It's the person you've had problems with. It's the person that you have the most trouble with, the most trouble getting along with. It's the person that, that you uh, uh, struggle the most with or the person that, that maybe you don't know and you need, you, need to be, um, uh, you, you need to reach out to them, you see. Now, now, don't worry that if I see you washing feet with somebody, I'm not going to think you all are fighting, Okay. <laughs> But, but you need to be reaching out to those, you see. And not just when we do it literally, but also throughout the year when we do it figuratively. Lessons from the children. The children can't help you. The child is no use to you in this world. But let me tell you, the child is of great use to you in the kingdom of God. The child is great. It's a, it's a mark of true greatness to seek out the one that has no influence. And look, he also goes on to give them a lesson about let me say it this way, the others, and I use quotations, others. He shows us a lesson from the children, but he also gives us a lesson from the others. Look at verse 38. And John answered him saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followed not us. And we forbade him because he followed not us. What about the others out there? 
the others that aren't primitive Baptists, the others that aren't in our little religious circle? What about the others out there that are not necessarily in our family circle? Uh, the others that maybe don't do things in our family the way we want them to be done? What about the ones that are outcast in our own families? What about the ones in our social circles that, or that aren't in our social circles, circles, rather, the ones that we consider to be outcast and different from us? He says we just forbade him. We, we got on to him. We, the word forbade there means that just to, uh, to, to, to cut him off. <laughs> To cut him off, that's what it means uh, there. It, it, to cut him off or to clip. You know, they sort of clipped his wings out there. You know, one thing I love about this church here is when we have a young preacher come in, like John Morgan, or I uh, think about Brother David Wise and others like that, we don't just cut them off. We don't just clip their wings and say, well, you're not good enough for us. You're not just, you know, you're not uh, up to the par that we want because you know, these young preachers, they need some time to grow. They need some time to exercise their gift and, to, and, to, and, and for it to mature, you see. We, when we have preachers visit here that we don't necessarily know, I appreciate, and I'll say this, I do my best to guard this pulpit. I don't want to put somebody up here, some man up here who's preaching untruth. I, I do my best to do that. But you're so kind and so merciful and so loving to those that... I invite in that come here, and that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, preachers are the world's worst. Preachers are the world's worst. I know preachers that will never have anybody come preach in their pulpit. I don't know if it's insecurity. I don't know what it is. It, it may be a, a problem that, you know, I, I'm, uh, it's not a worry I have, but I know I'm not the best preacher. I know that there's many out there with a greater gift than I've got. Uh, but you know, my approach to that is, is that, listen, if the Lord leads this church to call another man to be their pastor, then praise God, it's in his hands. I'm thankful. I'm so thankful to be your pastor, but I'm not worried about losing my job here because it's a calling and not a job. But you see, sometimes we're, we're so quick for those that are not up to our standards to just write them off. What can someone who isn't, quote, one of us do for us? Now, I, I love to be with those people that are just like me. I do. That think like me, that are just, uh, they're, they're all, you know, I feel a whole lot more comfortable when I'm in among my people, okay? But I'll tell you, beloved, to be truly great in the kingdom of God, we have to step outside our comfort zone sometimes. Sometimes we have to step over and reach out. Now, I, now, let me make it clear what I'm preaching to you here. I'm not talking about having just anybody come and preach for us. And I'm not talking about lowering the standards for uh, church membership or for those who would come and preach to us here. And, it does, and, it, and, and I'm not talking about endorsing everything that others who are not of our body stand for. That's not what I'm talking about. But here's what I am saying. And this is what the Lord's teaching us here. We don't reject them out of hand just because they're not part of us. We don't reject them out of hand just because they don't have all the knowledge that we have. 
You know, there's provisions for dealing with people who are heretics. There's provisions for that. But what Jesus is saying here, he says in verse 39, forbid him not. Don't clip his wings. Don't, don't cast him out. He said, for there's no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me, for he that is not against us is on our part. In other words, what he's saying here is, there are many people out there, a lot of folks that have had a true experience of grace. There are a lot of folks who, have, have, who are children of God, born in the Spirit, and have a zeal of God. They just don't have the knowledge they need to serve God properly. You know what it's our job to do? It's our job to browbeat them. It's our job to clip their wings. It's our job to forbid them and say, you better get right with the way we believe it or not. No, it's our job to love them into the kingdom of God. It's not our job to browbeat them or to argue them into the kingdom of God because I got news for you. You're not going to do that anyway. I've never browbeaten anybody into the kingdom of God. <laughs> I've loved some into it though. You know what I'm saying. The Lord has to be the one working in the matter, but you know what I'm saying. We can love them into the kingdom. We can't argue them into it. And he goes on to say this. He says, For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. You know, I know some preachers that have been so legalistic about where they stand that they wouldn't, they wouldn't even take a cup of water from one of God's little children that's out there trying to help them along. There, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people out there that don't know what we know. I don't mean that in an arrogant sense. I mean that in, I'm thankful that the Lord has taught us some things here. There's a lot of people out there that don't understand how salvation by grace works. But you know what? I'm so thankful for their friendship. I'm so thankful for their prayers. Someone, someone tells me of another order, say, I'm praying for you, Brother Chris. You know, I don't say to them, well, now look, you know, unless you understand that salvation is by grace alone, I don't really need your prayers. I don't see that. <laughs> I take a cup of water from them any day. And, and also, the other side of that coin is verse 42, whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. There are, there are churches and preachers that I know of and I've heard of through the years that their whole purpose seems to be to exclude people from the kingdom of God, to try to find anything they can to, to be able to kick them out of the church, so to speak, or to uh, run them off. I've heard preachers, uh, 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 preachers get up and preach uh, messages that I would call skinning Armenians. Boy, they're, they're up there talking about the different ones that are uh, the, 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 the other denominations and they'll name other denominations and they'll be harsh about it. And, and I even heard this told of one preacher one time that after a message like that, there had been someone in his church from another denomination attending that day. And after that message, this preacher told another preacher friend, said, well, I tell you what, I, that, that fellow won't be back. <laughs> Boy, what a sad commentary. What a sad commentary on the heart of that preacher. Beloved, I'm not going to compromise the truth of God's grace. And you can't either. But I'll tell you what you can do. You can preach it in love. You can speak it in love. Speak the truth in love. Don't offend one of these little ones. You see, 
to be great in the kingdom of God, you must love greatly. You must love greatly. Isn't that what Jesus said in John, the 13th chapter, about verse 35 and 36? He said, he said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that ye love one another. And then listen to this. You want to know how they, you want to know how they, the others out there, know that we are God's kingdom? He says, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, that ye have love one to another. The Lord is teaching some good lessons here on greatness. There's another lesson in here that we'll get to, Lord willing, tonight. But let's just ask ourselves a question. Do we want to be great in the kingdom of God? Do we, want to, do, do, we, do we misperceive the path to greatness? It's not by, by being lifted up to where people are serving you. It's by casting yourself down where you're serving others. And, and your whole purpose and your whole efforts are, are sprinkled and infused with the love that's been shed abroad in your heart. May we all seek greatness in this way. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. 